The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, just stunned that this week marks our third anniversary of podcasting. As you've heard us say before, this started off as a project to fill content gaps during, during the early days of the pandemic. But you keep listening, so we keep recording. It's challenging listeners to come up with new guests and topics that we think might be of interest. It's a real labor of love for Price to put this show together, together, even if he says he has the easy part of the job. Do not believe him. Anyway, thank you for making this anniversary possible. Part of the success of our show and the reach of the eco-right can definitely be attributed to today's guest, Tom Moyer, a super eco-writer from the state of Utah. A robotics engineer and climate activist, Tom is the state coordinator for the Utah Citizens Climate Lobby and a leader in Climate Utah, which lobbies the Utah legislature. Tom was a driving force um, behind the 2018 Environmental and Economic Stewardship Resolution, which passed both houses of the Utah legislature and was signed by the governor that year. And this is a little super cool tidbit. He and his wife live in a net zero house they built in Park City. We're going to hear more about that, listeners, so stay tuned. My conversation with Tom Moyer is coming right up. But first, a EcoRite birthday wish from one of our OG spokespeople and friends, Nick Huey, also from Utah, by the way. Happy birthday to the EcoRite Speaks podcast. Man, I've been on there twice, and they were both amazing experiences. So grateful for all that you guys are doing. Uh, so grateful for your consistency, making this happen for three years in a row, and giving a voice to people on the right who care about climate change like myself. So grateful for what you guys do. And a birthday wish from our writer and friend extraordinaire, also Eco-Right Leadership Council, John Sweeney. Hey, this is John Sweeney in New York City wishing EcoRight Speaks a happy birthday. The EcoRight is such an important political community, and I'm so thankful to all the guests and everyone who works on this podcast for amplifying this community's voice. Keep up the fight, everyone. Thank you both for those great wishes. We really appreciate your support, too. Welcome back, listeners. I'm really honored today to have today's um, guest. I almost called you a witness. I've been watching too many <laughs> legal dramas. Tom Moyer, big, big eco-right um, resident of eco-writer of Utah and super volunteer for us and for CCL. Just doing all the things. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and I'm honored to be here. So, Tom... I feel like every time we have an action, a poll, anything, you are one of the first to complete it. What initially made you so passionate about climate change and about, um, you know, leading conservatives to be active on climate change? I think being active on climate change was just, you know, it was a sense, a feeling of responsibility for a long time without knowing what to do. 
mm-hmm. right? Which I'm sure is true of everybody. Yeah. And for me, it took getting connected with CCL and really getting plugged into politics to actually find, find my way of being effective. Well, and speaking of being effective, in 2018, you were part of the team that helped pass a big resolution in the state of Utah. And so tell the listeners a little about that, because I, I, I feel like people would be surprised to hear the, the big change that you helped enact. Yeah, so that, that resolution was actually driven by students. Mm-hmm. The first version of it was written by a group of high school students at Logan High School. Wow. And yeah, and I actually didn't think it was a great idea when they proposed it. Uh-huh. they wanted the state at the time had a, a policy essentially of denying climate change mm-hmm. passed by the legislature in 2010. Right. It was like in the books, right? That climate yep. change wasn't real. Exactly. Just a resolution that this was nonsense and we should do nothing about it. And the students set out to overturn it. And, and that was at a time when we were just starting to get momentum among Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the first hints of interest that it's time to rethink this position right and and i thought setting this up you know as a battle in the legislature might actually be counterproductive and then particularly their first version they had they ran it through a progressive democrat of course because that's where they thought they had to go probably (laughs) right well that's who would listen to them yeah and so that sets it up as a partisan fight yep and that the first version went nowhere. Mm-hmm. It got it was never heard in committee, and they ended up holding a hearing outside of normal channels, an unofficial hearing. And they got, to their credit, a bunch of Republicans to attend. And one of them, who's Becky Edwards, who has run yeah. for Congress, she picked it up and said, "I'm going to Republicanize this." And so the next version was run by her with revised language and it was wonderful. And that's the version we ultimately took to completion. I mean, I think that's a really, it's a great story from which we, you know, it's a feel good story, but it's also a story we can learn lessons from, right? We can learn lessons about listening when people bring us ideas for solutions where there might be a knee jerk reaction against it. Hear people out so that you're not driving them to go talk to somebody else but also the art of refining words because words matter so that they appeal to everybody. Yep. I had a wonderful learning experience on that resolution, watching Becky Edwards work and watching her talk to other Republicans. She consulted so many people on the language before that bill finally passed saying, what, what are your trouble spots with this? How can I make this something you can vote for? And the, the compromises that were made in the language were really not very significant. But because a lot of people had been heard in the process, they ended up voting yes and bringing others along. I mean, people ultimately want to be heard. And hearing you describe that, it just reminds me of old-fashioned legislating, right? That's what you do. You put something on the table. And, and my old boss, Senator Warner, said they used to do this um, when he first got into the Senate, that you would take a bill or an amendment or something and, and maybe, you know, you introduced it or you, you floated a discussion draft out there and 
someone on the other side was like, mm. and then you just went to dinner and you brought the piece of paper with you. And we're like handwriting in the margins, you know, how, what about if we got rid of this word and use this word instead? And, and I think that that still happens. Those things still happen, but we don't see them. All we see and hear about are clickbaity things, right? And, and we hear all about the polarization, but there is, there are moments of compromise at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level. And this is an example, obviously, at the state level where it succeeded. And um, I remember now when you jarred my memory a little that it was those high school students that took that first initiative. Um, but you were involved before this point on climate in Utah, or was that kind of your first foray? No, very much. We were already, CCL is mostly active at the federal level. Mm-hmm. So we were already talking to our members of Congress, and mm-hmm. we were having a lot of progress at the time with Congresswoman Mia Love. Right. And and that's who was sort of, she had written an op-ed on climate change and, and taking an initial step in just saying Republicans can be part of the solution here. Yeah. So that's the context in which that, that student resolution came up. What are Mia Love and Becky Edwards doing now? Neither of them is an office holder anymore. That's right. Uh, Mia Love is a commentator for CNN. Okay. Uh, they're they're one of the Republican commentators. Yeah. And Becky Edwards has just announced that she's going to run for Chris Stewart's seat, which is opening up oh. Utah District Two. Okay. Because I was just thinking, I need to get both of them on the show. I love a powerful woman, and I love a powerful woman that is eager to find a solution on climate change. Tom, they would both how- be great, great interviews. They would be. Um, I'd have to vie with CNN, though, for Mia Love's time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How much does your background as a robotics engineer play into a level of confidence that we can solve the climate crisis? Because this is something I tell young people all the time is that some person is going to figure out, or a bunch of people, because I think that there will be multiple solutions, not one, is going to invent something that really helps us or some things that help us do what we need to do faster, which you know is not emit so much carbon. Do you have some, con- please <laughs> affirm my confidence <laughs> in this. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked it in that way because I want, I am at heart an engineer mm-hmm. and I want this just to be an engineering problem. Yeah. You know, you have to reduce carbon by this much. You have to preserve people's standards of living. Yep. You have to supply this kind, this much energy at these times, solve the engineering problem. <laughs> and it's, it's totally solvable. We know how to do all these things. Yes. Yes. Each thing, you know, has a certain cost and yep. certain benefits. And I just wish I want to just work on the problem that way. Yeah. But we can't. No. <laughs> because we have to bring people together on the politics yes. before or or in tandem with solving it engineering wise. Yeah. Well, but there are things happening. You know, I, I hear about improvements being made to power plants so that they can use more of the renewables that are available to them that and you know, you um we had a guest earlier this season or maybe last season on carbon dioxide removal and And so these are things that can happen, but I think really we need that price on carbon to unleash the free market to incentivize more of the the investment in that, that we need to make a difference. That would absolutely be the ideal way economically to go forward. But there is a lot happening in the the energy engineering space. 
Is that the hot, the hot engineering field to be in right now? <laughs> I, I'm a robotics engineer, right? I'm yeah. not involved in energy <laughs> at all, but I kind of wish I were because yeah. yeah, it is super hot. I mean, maybe you need to make a robotic thing that can help us out of this crisis. There, there are certainly opportunities <laughs> in the robotic space as well. So, um, Going back a little bit to Utah and the Utah delegation, obviously we are big fans of Mr. Curtis and he has been on this show and he has really been uh, emerged as a leader. So Mia Love, she lost her seat, right? That's why she left. Or did she? Yeah. And a tight. No, she did. Yeah. She lost a couple elections ago by 700 votes. And then her opponent that won lost in the next elect, right? At that seat is flopped back a couple of times. So. He's really emerged over the last couple of Congresses as as a leader, both for your state, but also for the nation. And so what does that mean to you as, do you say Utahian or Utahan? How do you refer to Utahan? (laughs) How does that make you feel to see that one of your own is out there, like really leading the charge in Congress? I'm I'm so thrilled. I mean, I've always been uh, positive about Utah. And I'm just super, super thrilled to see not just John Curtis, but lots of people from Utah uh, actively leading, right? And it being part of the solution, inspiring others, showing the way. We we are very much a state who can take that role. Yeah. Well, you have a lot at stake too, I feel like with the um, tourism industry snowpack, you know, um, the stories about what's happening to the Great Salt Lake are terrifying, terrifying yeah. to think that yeah, I mean, in five I think years with, it can with, be gone. With almost, every, with almost yeah. every state, you can find reasons why they should care. Yeah. But absolutely, it's true of us, too. Yeah. So are you, na- are you a native of Utah or were you, did you transplant there because it's such an amazing place? I transplanted here shortly after college. Okay. So long so enough now, now I've that now you, been yeah. here my entire adult life. Yes. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. And tell the listeners about the house you and your wife built. We built uh, six years ago, we built the net zero house. Amazing. That It was never the plan to do that. <laughs> Um, my wife had been wanting to move for years, um, get out of the heat in the summer, get out of the pollution in the winter. Um, we'd been looking for houses. I was the one who was hard to satisfy on that. Mm-hmm. We found exactly one that I liked. Exactly. We didn't one. get it. We, oh. we didn't get it. <laughs> and then the following week, this amazing lot came up. Flat, buildable, access to trails, good sunshine. Okay. And we said, Okay. I guess we have to build a house. Wow. So if we're going to build a house, then I want to do it properly. Yes. And this turned out to be a good site to do it. So we built it all electric, heat pump heating, uh, heat pump water heater, induction stove, electric vehicle, and with enough solar to, over the course of the year, supply everything the house and the vehicle need. That is impressive. And I'm going to pick your brain now about induction stoves because in the podcast episode that just released minutes before you and I got on, so you couldn't have heard it, we um, tackled listener questions. And one of the questions was um, about 
gas versus induction and a little bit the culture wars that have sort of built up around it, which I think are just sort of ridiculous. And again, very clickbaity kind of stuff. Nobody is telling anyone what they have to use or not use right now. And you know that, and I know that, but as a law lifelong gas range user, I am at the point where I'm ready to convert to induction. And the one thing is that everyone's is it just doesn't sear that steak as well. It doesn't cook, you know, it doesn't heat things as fast that it's not as satisfying as of a cooking experience. So I need to hear what it has been like for you. I think it's better than gas in every way. Either I like you, I don't think there needs to be a culture war on this issue because this is just one where as soon as people try it, they're going to like it. Yeah. It and does, do it if to, you want me, or don't do it, does, it if you don't want. Yeah. Exactly. It does everything better. There's not a single metric that a gas stove does better. I love that. Okay. Well, you're affirming my decision to, I'm waiting for the <laughs> Inflation Reduction Act rebates to come online. Those are distributed at the state level point of purchase for listeners that might be interested. You can check your own state and see where they are, but the guidance hasn't come out of Department of Energy yet to go to the states. But as soon as it is, I've got my range picked out. I know exactly what I want and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So I'm happy to hear that you're, you're ringing endorsement. And I just think that's so cool to imagine, you know, you are energy independent, right? That's one way to think of your energy independent. We're that energy independence has a caveat. Uh-huh. We we don't generate as much as we use in the winter. Okay. We could be energy independent with the right battery, about mm-hmm. a day's worth of battery storage. We yeah. could be energy fully energy independent, meaning off the grid mm-hmm. for about eight months of the year. During the winter months, we've got snow on the panels, we're drawing yeah. from the electricity yeah. grid. It's the opposite for me. So I had solar installed in um, late December and I'm going to be using more energy in the summer with AC than um, right now. My electricity bill, the last one I got was negative 150 bucks. So always nice to (laughs) see the little negative. You owe nothing all in red on on your electricity bill. Right Um, In our state, we can't get a negative bill. The best we can do is zero. Yeah. Well, at some point I'll get a check. Right. They'll, right. Some, I think it's quarterly. They give us um, the, the dividend checks. So um, Tom, what's happening? What, what's going on in Utah the rest of the year? Any fun climate activities in state, um, any events or anything that, that listeners might want to um, either poke their head into, get involved with, or replicate in their own areas where they live? Yeah, I guess there's a couple dimension. Uh, last fall, we held a congressional debate on climate change. Not oh. a debate. Sorry. We called it a panel discussion. Uh-huh. We specifically didn't want it to be a debate. Right. But, but we had John Curtis and his Democratic opponent and Blake Moore, Utah District 1, and his yeah. Democratic opponent respectfully, cooperatively discussing climate change solutions. Isn't that great? And these, neither of these districts were close in the general election. They're both strongly Republican districts. And we picked those candidates because those particular Republicans wanted to talk about climate change and highlight what they're doing on it. So just a fantastic opportunity to educate the public, show Republican leadership and show civility, right? In, In places that need it more. Right, and I think by calling it a panel discussion, a discussion and not a debate, 
you're already setting it up to be a little bit more um, respectful in front, like debates. We think of people trying to get the zingers in and right. uh, one-upping each other, but a conversation, that's not how real conversations happen. And that's not how you change minds. Exactly. Yeah. We also specifically didn't want to debate yeah. on the existence of climate change. We want to talk right. about solutions. Right. And everybody there, all the candidates want to talk about the solutions. So will you be doing that for the next election cycle? We'll see. We'll see what, what those candidates and those um, uh, those legislators want to do. But I would love to repeat that sort of thing. Another one I'd love to bring to your attention. We've been we've taken a couple trips to Utah's coal country to Ooh. talk to people down there. Okay. And each time we do that, this has been sort of a profound mind shift for me on climate change. The first time we went and met people down there to discover that we had goals in common and issues we could work on together that, that we did not need to view each other as enemies. And, and it's been every time we go down there, that relationship deepens and that, that opinion gets solidified. Well, that, because again, you're, you know, you're not setting it up as you're wrong. We're right. We have the solution. You're fostering a conversation and people want to be heard. Right. So, and in this case, everyone knows that Cole's days are numbered. Yes. We're not, we're not trying to, you know, change their way of life. It's being changed. Yeah. So we're there saying, how can we help? And, and that automatically puts it on a different footing. And what are the ways to help? Well, the, the main thing they want is just to grow and diversify their economy. They right. know they've been dependent on a single uh, a single kind of uh, resource mm -hmm. and and they haven't had much diversification. Everything has come back to that yeah. industry. And so they're really trying to attract businesses to their region mm -hmm. and we can help them do that. Yeah. Right. We can, we can help them find grants. We can help talk to companies that are interested in moving there. Um, you know, one of the things they ask is just talk us up, just tell people we're here, that we're worth visiting. You know, I don't think that there has ever been a bigger advocate for coal production, coal mining than the late Robert C. Byrd from West Virginia. And uh, in the writing of my book that comes out next year about the untold stories of climate politics, I the research that I did, I, I was sort of remembered, you know, going through the years, he was, you know, very much an advocate for, you know, protecting coal and and. Also, some of the health stuff, right? Black lung, making sure that there was money for black lung disease and stuff. And voted against every climate bill that came his way, but not because he was against climate change, which was the reputation, or, you know, that he was denying it was happening, which is the reputation that he got, but because he was afraid of, you know, a cap and trade structure or something where the U.S. goes out first and other countries aren't forced to act, which is, you know, as you and I know, preaching to the choir, the beauty of having some sort of carbon tax pricing, carbon cap and dividend, however you want to call it, where you're pricing carbon and you have the, the carbon border adjustment along with it to incentivize other countries to act. But he also was worried about this, what, what you just said about, you know, he saw that coal had a finite future and that there needed to be other options for his beloved West Virginia for when the coal industry started to decline, which is, you know, a case that all coal industries are in now because uh, it's been displaced by natural gas and 
Um, renewables are so much cheaper now than they were 10, 20, even five years ago, frankly. So I think that's really, you know, you have to give people options when they only have one option. That's what they're going to lean into. But if they have plenty of options, it's just like you diversify everything in your life, right? You're hedging your bets. And these, these communities, it's, it's not so much the existing co-workers who have the problems like they're the coal industry will probably last long enough for them. Mm-hmm. The issue is for their kids. Yeah. The next they generation. want, they want a reason for their kids to stay in that town Yeah, and not have out the, the whole next generation just have to leave. Right. The brain drain. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, I feel like you toss it to the fascinating place. I could talk to you all day and, I'm definitely going to get some of these other uh, Utahns on on the show because there's so much to say about the state and so much to do. And, you know, we're big fans at RepublicIan.org and love working with you and our other friends in state. Nick Huey, got to put a shout out for my guy, Nick yep. Huey. Nick um, is wonderful. But, you know, keep up the good work and and let's uh, let's do some stuff together. Thank you. And we look forward to it. Love doing everything with RepublicIan. Bryce, happy anniversary to us. I feel like we should hug it out or something. I know. If we were only in person. I know. And we'd have some cake too, maybe pop a bottle. I don't know. Yeah. It's been fun as we've grown and watching you grow as a host when you know, I remember you I don't know. We I can do this. I'm like, yeah, you can. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just like riding a bike. You hop on and you just kind of get a little bit better as you pedal and you've just, yeah. uh, you've just taken off and soared. So well done star. Well done. And also well, of course, you know, well done to our listeners because it's all about them investing a few minutes, 30, 20, whatever, every week to listen to the eco right speak. So, and just- to our guests too, because you know, varying levels of preparation go mm-hmm. in before, you know, I, I get, um, some people want to know exactly where are you going to ask me? And I never give them that. I kind of give them themes, right? Because I don't want it to sound like a rehearsed Q and a, um, but you know, I know yeah. that our guests are putting time too into preparing for these episodes. So it really is such a community wide effort from the infrastructure that we provide, the content that the guests provide, and then obviously the demand that the listeners provide by continuing to listen week after week. So mm-hmm. Thanks to everyone who has been part of this really intricate networked team of uh, people to make three years of podcasting possible. Yeah, and thank you to uh, a couple birthday wishes that uh, hopped in. Nick uh, Nick Huey and John Sweeney, uh, you know, bedrock of the EcoRight community, people that have been uh, with us from the outset and um, you know, those people help lay the foundation for yeah. getting us to the point that we're at now. So they are OG for sure. Yes, yes they are. Um, and OG, you know, you mentioned community. You just want to thank, um, you know, all those people that are part of our eco right and Republican community, uh, which people sign up uh, at republican.org forward slash join. Uh, thanks to some new members who have done just that in the last week. Kimberly C. in Florida, Dennis J. in Hawaii, Ken D. in Idaho, Donna C. in Alabama, and Christy M. in California. So appreciate them for standing with us, which you can do again at republican.org forward slash join. Chels. Um, Price, I, you know, sort of in the spirit of being a community and there are people that have been with us for a long time and organizations that we've been allied with for a long time and 
I just want to take a moment to segue into our next week's guest who, Mm -hmm. um, their organization, the, um, Climate Leadership Council is not new to us, given our deep and long-term friendship with Katrina Rourke, who has been Mm -hmm. on the show a few times to talk about the research that she does, especially for climate and trade. But next week, we're going to have the CEO of the Climate Leadership Council, Greg Bertelson, talking about um, his efforts going to the Hill. You know, we all saw recently that he was named a top 50 influencer in Politico and um, has has gotten accolades from both sides of the aisle for his um, his ability to, you know, go on the hill and help forge this really intricate compromise that really is bringing two sides together. And we talk a lot about doing that. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to build the trust. You have to build the relationships mm-hmm. And then you're kind of a conduit as well. So looking forward to hearing a little, like hopefully Greg's going to peel the veil back a little bit and we can kind of see behind that curtain of what happens and how they really made themselves um, a trusted resource on Capitol Hill, which is really important during these times. Yeah, excited to have Greg on for the first time. You know, the Climate Leadership Council, as you mentioned, uh, some of our you know really good friends doing great work on the eco right that we're uh, fortunate to have that you know stands with us you know in a different way as we're fighting the good fight uh, on the eco right. So excited to hear from him, and also excited to have Tom Moyer. Speaking of a, a good friend on the eco right, somebody that uh, does fantastic work out in Utah. You know, your conversation with him, Tom, is one of my favorite people. <laughs> How one did of I the go smartest to the? People. I went to the new the next week's episode before even wrapping up tom if you're listening i'm so sorry our conversation rocked price and i talked so much about it before we hit record that in my brain in my uh obviously caffeine starved brain i was thinking we already went through that but yes tom was wonderful he knows so much and Price, I kind of want him to come and walk around my house and tell me all the things I could do to make myself net zero. Yeah, Tom is a phenomenal guy. I I love every time I get on the phone with Tom, and I love listening to you guys, you know, talk and converse and um, have that segment for this week's podcast that everybody just heard. Uh, But I, I just, the work that, you know, Tom does and his team, they do out in Utah and has been a great friend and a great resource uh, to me, especially on the programming side, but to all of us at Republican uh, and the work that we're doing. I mean, they cheerlead and he, he's one of our biggest cheerleaders and supporters, as, as he mentioned there at the end. So, yeah, loved having Tom on. Uh, I think it was the first time for Tom, right? It was the first time for Tom, yeah. for sure. For yeah. sure. So, I think if we're looking at states where we've had um, a, a- <clears throat> A number, you know, a number of guests representing those states. Florida, obviously, um, Utah is up there. We've had, you know, Mr. Curtis. We've had Nick Huey a few times. Tom, I know that we've had others from Utah yep. and Indiana. I think those three states really. Um, and that's great because those are states that we work in. So, yay. <laughs> well, not to plan an exit strategy, but next week we'll have Greg Burleson. I believe that last Tuesday of June will be our final episode of season six, our kind of our best of the way we wrap it up with, you know, kind of a, a kaleidoscope uh, of interviews of, of folks that joined us during this season. And then we will be back uh, in a few weeks launching season seven. So, couple more Tuesdays of brand new episodes. Of course, you can always go back and listen to past episodes of EcoRight Speaks uh, as we turn the page into July. If you're looking for something, you're not getting a new one on Tuesday, don't worry. 
you will just have a very short wait because we will have a new season, season seven coming to you. And in the meantime, if you've got some guests that you want to hear from, if you've got topics that you want to hear about, drop Chelsea a line. She is always yeah. looking for new ideas, new, yep. new voices, new, new people to feature, stories to tell. Drop her a line and let her know as we start getting you ready for season seven coming up later this yeah, summer. I've already got some guest ideas lined up. You know, no one's pre-recorded yet, but, um, you know, we also need to take that time to recharge. There, There is an element of, you know, stress that goes into, you know, just to be real as the kids say for a moment. Um, there is, it, it can be a little stressful, right? And, you know, we're always juggling and I might have three or four invitations out at the same time. And some people ghost me and never write back. And then some people, you know, folks are busy. So just trying to find that time that our schedules can align or we have time zone um, change differences to, to manage. And so, you know, that can you know, if we happen to miss an episode, listeners, it's usually because of that dynamic, right? It isn't because we just forgot to get a guest. Like that doesn't happen. We're always thinking, we're always trying to plan. And I love to have one or two recordings in the bag just to like, you know, have that buffer. And um, because I'm neurotic. So <laughs> now you all know my secret. Um, yeah, no, we're already looking ahead to season, season seven. Oh my God. Lucky number seven. So, yeah, yes, indeed. It is going to be, uh, another exciting, uh, summer and fall and into late 2023 with you as we will bring you season seven of the eco right speaks. Like I said, though, tons of, con uh, interviews, evergreen content that's there for your listening pleasure, over 100 episodes that you can go back and check out uh, through, you know, part of July is we will we follow us on social media. It's one thing I, I tell you to do a lot of things. Chelsea and I throw a lot of things and suggestions and uh, ideas out to you every week. Make sure to give us a follow on social media, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Republican, uh, because we will let you know what the official start date, the official start date of Season 7 will be via our social media platforms, because... There will be a season seven. We're just going to kind of plot it out and figure out exactly when we will launch that. So make sure you follow us on social media because we will be letting you know when those new episodes for season seven will start, Chelsea. That's right. And, you know, we have vacations <laughs> to navigate around and you know what D.C. is like in August. <laughs> so It's a ghost town. It's a ghost town. And it's also a hot town. <laughs> is way too hot. That's why I'm going to Maine twice in August. Oh, so. you lucky dog. You lucky I dog. I want to go eat some lobster so bad up there. <laughs> Come on up. All right. <laughs> well, we'll save you the happy birthday song. We will get out of here and just say once again, happy birthday to all of us, but collectively to our listeners, guests, everybody that has made this podcast possible. Thank you to everybody for supporting us, for listening, download, subscribing every single week, and we will do it again next week on Tuesday. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 